good morning. As we, as I mentioned in the opening and in the welcome time, that this is a, we're in a focus on Thanksgiving for last week and this week, and then uh, next week is actually going to begin Advent, if you can believe it. We barely get out of Thanksgiving and boom, right into the, the Christmas season as I guess the culture has taken on too. But uh, we're going to begin Advent next week. But today we're going to continue our thoughts on Thanksgiving. And we are doing so in Psalm 118, verse 1. And it's a short verse. There aren't very many words to take away. So this hopefully will be an easy one to commit to memory and to commit to our hearts as we think about it. But sometimes the easiest verses are the hardest at times to really... Uh, let them sink in or apply. So let's, let's say this together as is, as is our, our practice. Let's repeat this verse together a few times. Let's read it together, shall we? Psalm 118, verse 1. Give thanks to the Lord, for He is good, for His loving kindness is everlasting. Alright, so we'll take away some of those words. Let's say this again together, shall we? Psalm 118, verse 1. Give thanks to the Lord, for He is good, for His loving kindness is everlasting. Alright, one more time. Oh, they're all gone. There's, let's see how we do with this. Alright, let's say this one last time together. Psalm 118, verse 1. Give thanks to the Lord, for He is good, for His loving kindness is everlasting. All right, good. And today, the focus is, while we are talking about thanks and thanksgiving, and, and the psalm starts off with, give thanks to the Lord, we're going to be predominantly focused on, and I would say by the end of this, the idea of God's loving kindness is going to be the primary focus. But, but Psalm 118 uh, begins very clearly to give thanks to the Lord and, and for certain reasons. The first one is, is, for He is good. Give thanks to the Lord, for He is good. And so I just want to point out to you, God is good. Let's just let that sink in a little bit. I know, that's very basic, isn't it? But we are to give thanks to God, give thanks to the Lord, because He is good. And, and this is important because, as Jesus says in Mark ten eighteen, 18, uh, the rich young ruler came to Jesus and was buttering him up by saying, Good teacher! And Jesus responds, Why do you call me good? No one is good except God alone. And let, let's just think about that. God is good. God alone is good. Uh, Psalm 14, Psalm 53, they're both quoted by Paul in Romans chapter 3, where it says, there is no one who does good. Not even one. There is no one who is righteous. If, if we are going to be honest about ourselves and about God, we must acknowledge we are not good. 
We may try to be good. We may be mostly good. But mostly good does not do enough. We are not good. The, the, the constant testimony from Scripture is, is that our hearts are evil. That, and another place where Jesus says, uh, you know, if you, being evil, know how to give your children good gifts. When he was talking about what, what father among you, if his son asked for a loaf of bread, would you give him a stone? You know, would you, if they asked for a fish, would you give them a snake? No. But yet, we're evil. Our hearts are evil. If we're honest with ourselves, we're, we're uh, jealous, we're selfish. We can be harsh with one another. We can be harsh with ourselves. It is not a goodness to people. It is not a help to people to tell them, oh, you're good. Yeah, we can maybe be better than other people and we think of things inside and the ideas of the good guys and the bad guys. But if we're honest, even the good guys aren't good. But God is good. So the best the absolute best of the people of the world. The ones that we want to lift up and say, now there is a saint. There is a good person. God looks and says, no, there is wickedness. There is evil. There is sin. If we were good, there would be no need for us to have a Savior. And yet God sent Jesus. God is good. He is a good, good Father. Most of us, even the best fathers, are middling fathers if we're going to be honest we do our best but our best isn't good and it's not good enough god is good god is good so we should give thanks to god and we should look through the world from the lens that only god is good and that because God is good, we should give thanks to Him. But not only should we give thanks to Him, we should trust in Him. We should hold on to Him. We should look to Him expectantly and not to the things of the world. The things of the world are bad. The things that we have and the things that we try and even you know, the, the decisions that we make and the worldview that we try to hold to, it's corrupt. God is good. Not only that, Psalm 118 verse 1 tells us that God is good. And then the second reason that we should give thanks to Him is for His loving kindness is everlasting. Loving kindness as a word is the idea of God's covenant love, His favor to the people. It's a word that means to be good, to be kind, and, and yet none of that ever seems to really come close to this idea of loving kindness it's it's not being kind just because you're polite you know sometimes we can be kind to people because we're polite to people and sometimes we can love people and yet we're still not kind to them or we're short right but god's attitude towards us is one of loving kindness That's what he had for the people of Israel. That's what he has for the believers of the New Testament. But honestly, his attitude towards all humanity is one of loving kindness. Because he is good, he has loving kindness. And not only does he have some of it, or does he show it, but God is full 
of loving kindness to us. God is full of loving kindness to us. This is, this is His way of behaving. It's His treatment of us. Constantly. There isn't this idea of a, an angry, vengeful, wrathful God. Yeah, God's wrath is terrible. Vengeance is mine, says the Lord. But His vengeance, His judgment, all of that comes out of His loving kindness. When we reject Him. When we reject His way of treating us, of acting toward us. His mercy that He shows us. He is full of it. In fact, this psalm, one of the reasons why I chose Psalm 118, verse 1, instead of 136, 1, if you ever go to Psalm 136, it's a litany of God's actions on behalf of the nation of Israel as they were brought out. And it says, you know, give thanks to the Lord, for He is good, for His loving kindness is everlasting. And it moves on and talks about how He made the heavens and how He made the sun and how He brought the Israelites out of, the, out of Egypt. And, and every statement of God's actions is, for His loving kindness is everlasting. But Psalm 118 is a lot more personal of a look. And, and showing us just how God's loving kindness is uh, manifested in our lives. It begins in verse 1 with, Give thanks to the Lord for He is good. His loving kindness is everlasting. And, and then the psalmist moves on and he says, Oh, let Israel say His loving kindness is everlasting. Oh, let the house of Aaron, the priests, so we have the nation, now we're focused on the priests, say His loving kindness is everlasting. And then in verse 4, Oh, let those who fear the Lord say His loving kindness is everlasting. Now remember, whenever the Bible repeats something, or people within the Bible repeat something, we, we should take note of it. So when Jesus says, truly, truly, that means this is very true. When things are repeated three times, that is only for God. So the seraphim who, pro who proclaim, holy, 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 is the Lord God Almighty. So when the psalmist, in this case, has three times, he repeats. Really, you could say he's done it four times. But from verse 2 to verse 4, let, the house, let Israel say, let the house of Aaron say, let those who fear the Lord say. Constantly, 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 this idea of His loving kindness is everlasting. He wants the, the nation to repeat it. He wants the priesthood to repeat it. And Beyond that, all those who fear the Lord, which hopefully includes us as well. May we say that His loving kindness is everlasting. And then in verse 5, he shares why he feels this way about the Lord. He says in verse 5, From my distress I called upon the Lord. The Lord answered me and set me in a large place. The Lord is for me. I will not fear. What can man do to me. If God is for me, what can other people do against me? Well, nothing except for what God allows. So if God is for me, I will not fear. I won't have to fear what's going on because I'm in God's hands. What can man do to me? He says in verse 7, The Lord is for me among those who help me. Therefore, I will look 
with satisfaction on those who hate me. So he's talking about there that that he's trusting in God so much that as as people are against him, as they come up against him, he's not going to be worried. He's going to look on them with satisfaction. He's going to be calm because his hope is in the Lord. In verse 8 and 9, he makes another repetition. It is better to take refuge in the Lord than to trust in man. It is better to take refuge in the Lord than to trust in princes. How often do we want to put our trust in the people around us? How often do we want to put our trust, our hope, into the things of the world or into princes, you know, the rulers, the leaders? Oh, if we just get the right leader, we're going to be okay. No, never going to happen, never going to work out. It is better to take refuge in the Lord than to trust in princes. And, and by the way, do you notice how many times the word Lord is showing up in this? Almost as much as the word uh, references to the law in Psalm 119, or God's word in Psalm 119. The Lord is a constant thought. But remember, when you see Lord in all caps like that, that is the translators translating it not directly, but uh, replacing God's name with Lord. So this psalmist, he's he's not just talking about abstractly the Lord or God. He's using God's name that unfortunately over the centuries, Uh, The Jewish people stopped writing it down, stopped using it, stopped pronouncing it. And so by the time even Jesus was around, they weren't using it anymore. That's why it doesn't even show up in the New Testament. And we don't know how to translate it properly or to pronounce it because they got away from that. But just think, the original authors of Scripture didn't have a problem with God's name. They weren't afraid of using it. They didn't have this sense of we need to show reverence to him by not using his name. No, God told us who he was. He used it on a regular basis. And he told them who he was, and they were to use it too. So constantly he is calling out to God. I would translate Lord, if it's in all caps like that, as Yahweh. Uh, That probably comes the closest. If If you think about those syllables, Yah you can actually make it sound more like <gasps> like you're breathing in. I know I'm exaggerating breathing in, but just think about a breath in. <sighs> Sounds almost like, <gasps> right? And then if you bring out, <sighs> so it's been even considered that the, the name of God is, is breathing in and breathing out. <gasps> so I go with Yahweh. If you want to be real dramatic, you could always stop and say, Yahweh. But that might be a little distracting, right? But he is saying it is better to take refuge in Yahweh. It is better to take refuge in Yahweh than in to trust in princes. Because he actually knows God. He doesn't say, oh, well, he's, he's other from us and I can't even use his name. No, this is the name of my God. This is my God who I worship and I trust in. And that is what he says, I've been, I, and from my distress I called upon him. He has loving kindness for me. Let all the nation claim he has loving kindness. Let the priest claim he has loving kindness. Let all who fear him 
proclaim that He is loving kindness. That it is everlasting because He has taken such care of us in these ways. In fact, in verse 10, He continues, All nations surrounded Me. In the name of Yahweh, I will surely cut them off. All the nations surrounded Him. It's the idea that all the world is against Him. All the world, all these things that are not good. But yet, and again, he's going to be repeating. In the name of the Lord, I will surely cut them off. They surrounded me in verse 11. They surrounded me. Yes, they surrounded me. In the name of the Lord, I will surely cut them off. They surrounded me like bees. Oh man, talk about, we can, we can picture that, can't we? They surrounded me like bees. They were extinguished as fire of, as a fire of thorns. They were like, they, they swarmed around me, but their destruction was like when you throw thorns into the fire and it burns up. The stuff that you're just getting rid of. Get rid of the thorns that are in your field, you burn them up. They were extinguished as a fire of thorns. In the name of the Lord, I will surely cut them off. And that was a, a threefold repetition there. All the nations surround him, but he's not worried. And now he even says in verse 13, you pushed me violently so that I was falling. The world, the people around him, his enemies, they pushed him violently so that I was falling. But the Lord helped me. But Yahweh helped me. The Lord is my strength and my song. And he has become my salvation. The sound of joyful shouting and salvation is in the tents of the righteous. The right hand of the Lord does valiantly. The right hand of the Lord is exalted. The right hand of the Lord does valiantly. That's another threefold. I mean, he is praising God, God alone. That is his action and his attitude. The world around him is against him, but no, God is for him. God has brought him up. People try to knock him down. God gets him back up. The, the right hand is the, the, the hand of strength, of honor. The right hand of the Lord has done valiantly. The right hand of the Lord is exalted. He has experienced God's salvation in his life. That is, that is remember, the very beginning of all of this was give thanks to the Lord for He is good. For His loving kindness is everlasting. This passage, all of these verses, all of this praise, all of this talking about the world and all those enemies against Him and how people were against Him, it's all focused on, but God is good. The world is not good, but God is good. The world is against me, but God's loving kindness is for me. And then in verse 17, He says, I will not die, but live and tell of the works of the Lord. The Lord has disciplined me severely, but He has not given me over to death. See, even the psalmist says, it doesn't mean that God's always been gentle with me. It's not that God has not had to discipline me, but even when God disciplines us, it's good. Like a, a father disciplines his son, so does God discipline us. A father disciplines his son because he wants his son to make good decisions, to get on the right path. Discipline is not hate. 
Discipline is not uh, an attitude of an enemy. Discipline is the attitude of a, an ally. Somebody who cares for you. He says, I will not die, but live and tell of the works of God, of Yahweh. The Lord has disciplined me severely. He's disciplined me, but He has not given me over to death. I'm going to live. And even when He disciplines me, even if it feels like I'm going to die, He hasn't given me over to death. His his loving kindness is so great. God is full of loving kindness to us. It is not just in, in in the realm of dealing with our enemies. No, His loving kindness goes far, so far that even when we're not good, even though we are evil, even though we are wicked at times, He disciplines us. And even though His discipline at times is severe, He doesn't destroy us. And so this is reminding us of that first verse. His loving kindness is everlasting. God's loving kindness for us is everlasting it doesn't run out yeah i think of everlasting and my mind immediately goes to the batteries you know they don't last forever they do run out they may run a long time but they do run out when it says that god's loving kindness is everlasting That word everlasting, it means to have a long duration. It it can look backwards to be antiquity, or it can look forward to the future. It's the idea of all generations everlasting. God's love for us does not stop. His loving kindness for us does not run out. It is everlasting. You can't get to the end of it. You can't get to the point where all of a sudden God says, I've had it, I'm done. It's everlasting. He may discipline you. He may discipline you severely. But He will not give you over to death. Because He is our salvation. Give thanks to the Lord, for He is good. He is good in ways that the world is not. Think of all the things and all the people that we trust in, that we hold on to, that we look to for our help and our salvation at times. Will any of them last? Think of just your life. Are you everlasting? No. You know, at the very beginning, when God made Adam and Eve and He put them in the garden, there were two trees that are spoken of. One of them we talk about a lot, the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. They ate of that fruit and they got wisdom and knowledge. And Well, they didn't get wisdom. They got knowledge. Uh, wisdom and knowledge, not the same thing. They got knowledge. They understood evil. They sinned. They disobeyed God. But the second tree, this tree that was mentioned, but they were actually allowed to eat of it, was the tree of life. And it was in the garden. And in fact, the reason why God kicked Adam and Eve out of the garden is because he said to himself, if they eat of the tree of life and live forever, they will be stuck in this condition. See, Adam and Eve are not eternal beings. You and I, we are not eternal beings we have a beginning we have an ending it is god who in his grace can extend our ending and make us everlasting but we are not 
eternal beings in and of ourselves. He is the one that gives us that. First through the, and, and by the way, you go to Revelation, what's in, what's in the center of the, the new, new Jerusalem? Tree of life. Tree of life. We do not have life in ourselves. God is eternal. He is everlasting. His loving kindness is everlasting, but let's be honest about ourselves. We are not everlasting. The things that we hope in are not everlasting. Your job is not going to be everlasting. Your home is not going to be everlasting. Your family is not going to be everlasting. People die. People move. Things change in our lives. Sooner or later, we die. And then generations come up. doesn't take long. And they don't even know who we were. We are not everlasting. Why do we trust in such finite things as political parties, as nations, as as armaments, as bank accounts, as jobs? Why do we place as as human beings our trust in these things that are so short-lived? We have an eternal God who has been here before there was a here, who will be here after there is a here, and He has loving kindness for us. He is full of loving kindness to us, and that loving kindness for us is everlasting. Why do we replace Him with anything else? And yet, if we're honest, we know that we do replace Him with everything else. We don't hope supremely in him. Nathan and I are reading a book about Hudson Taylor, and he's talking to um, a missionary about his hopes and his dreams about going to China, and this man is from China, and the man just laughs at him. Like, you're not going to get anywhere in China. You're a blonde-haired, blue-eyed devil as far as they're concerned. They'll never listen to you. They barely listen to me, and I at least look somewhat close to the Chinese people. And Hudson Taylor says, well, if God has called me, God will make a way for me. And this missionary just laughs even harder at him. Why is it so foolish in our ears, even for believers, to see a person who trusts in the Lord so fully? Hudson Taylor wanted to, he, he believed that God could provide for him monetarily too. And one pastor said, you know, it worked like that back when the Bible was written. That's not really practical now. Has God changed? No. He's the same. His loving kindness for us is everlasting. It has not changed. What has changed is the quality and the character of his children and our willingness to believe in Him, and how much we are driven by the wisdom of the world around us. But the psalmist says, no, His love and kindness for us is everlasting. You can't come to the end of it. You can't overwhelm it. It doesn't run out. You can't get into a situation where He will not have it there for you. The psalmist wants us to trust God above all else and all others. In fact, he he moves from that in verse 19. 
Open to me the gates of righteousness. I shall enter through them. I shall give thanks to Yahweh, to the Lord. This is the gate of the Lord. The righteous will enter through it. Now what does that sound like to you? Narrow is the way, straight is the gate. Broad is the way, wide the gate. Many there are that walk through it, but narrow is the way and straight the gate. Few there be that enter through it, but we must enter through that gate. This is the gate of the Lord. The righteous will enter through it. In fact, from 19 on, we are starting to think of and look forward to Jesus, although I don't think the psalmist probably knew that. But through the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, this is what he is proclaiming. He says in verse 21, I shall give thanks to you, for you have answered me, and you have become my salvation. The stone which the builders rejected has become the chief cornerstone. This is the Lord's doing. It is marvelous in our eyes. Who is the stone that the builders rejected that became the chief cornerstone? Jesus. He says, This is the day which the Lord has made. Let us rejoice and be glad in it. O Lord, do save, we beseech you. O Lord, we beseech you, do send prosperity. Provide for us. Save us. His eyes are on the Lord. In verse 26, he says, Blessed is the one who comes in the name of the Lord. You almost expect to hear a Hosanna with that, don't you? This is what they were crying out to Jesus as He came to Jerusalem, humble and on the colt of a donkey. Blessed is the one who comes in the name of the Lord. The Lord is God, and He has given us light. Well, that takes me to John chapter 1, if it doesn't, I mean, you know. In Him was the light, and the life was the light of men. In Him was light. He is the light that gives Shines light into the darkness of the world. And and verse 27 continues, Bind the festival sacrifice with cords to the horns of the altar. Sounds a lot like being crucified in my book. To the altar. Bind Him. You are my God, and I give thanks to You. You are my God, I extol You. And then he ends it just like he began it. Give thanks to the Lord, for he is good, for his loving kindness is everlasting. The psalmist says, as he's walking through the psalm, we should give thanks to God because he is good. And he says, This this is how God has been good to me. He has blessed me. He has protected me. He has been with me. He is for me. Even though the world is against me, even though my enemies buzz around like bees, they are going to be thrown away like thorns in a fire. God is the one who provides for me. He says His loving kindness is everlasting. Even when I am bad, even when I am wicked, He disciplines me. He has even disciplined me severely, but He hasn't given me over to death. In fact, I plan, I, will, I plan to walk through the gates that the righteous are going to walk through. My eye is on God's salvation. And we, of course, as New Testament believers, we know who he's really talking about, about the gate and who the stone is that the builders rejected. The one who has come in the name of the Lord. The one who is 
sacrificed himself for us. We're looking at Jesus. God's ultimate loving kindness to us is found in Jesus. God's everlasting loving kindness for us is in Jesus. Everything He is talking about here, when we say God is good, yes, we know He has sent us Jesus. His loving kindness to us. He loves us so much that He sent His only Son that whoever believes in Him will not perish but have eternal life. That's loving kindness to a a wicked, rebellious people. God is ultimate showing to us of His loving kindness is in Jesus Christ. He is our hope. He is our stay. When we say His loving kindness is everlasting, we're talking about what He has done through the person and work of Jesus. The fulfillment of all the hope that the psalmist had. The fulfillment of all the Old Testament as it looked forward to God's redemption and His salvation. As we look forward as well, being believers in Jesus, we look forward to that time when He will return. And though the world is upset around us and gets after us and is harsh towards us and against us, we can trust in Him because His loving kindness is everlasting. It's still there and He's still got enough for everybody. That's what the psalmist is getting at for us. As we say this verse, I pray that you would think of Jesus when you, when you say it. That you would think of your life and the things that you trust in and you hope in. Why do we hope in anything else? Why do we trust in anything else? Why do we think at times when things seem to be going bad, oh, God must be against me. God must have forgotten me. Would a loving God forget? As he says one other place, as a nursing mother remembers her her baby, so I remember you. She may actually be able to forget, but I cannot. He has not forgotten me. He has not forgotten us. We may not see it. We may struggle to understand it. But we have to live it. That God's loving kindness is everlasting. That His loving kindness is for you. That God is good. And so whatever you are going through and whatever you are facing, whatever you are experiencing, it is within His sovereignty. And He is good. And He is there for you. What can man do to you? Don't fear. He is with you. I pray as we... Let's let's say this verse one last time as we close. I pray as we say it together that it would mean a little bit more now than it did when we first went through it. Psalm 118, verse 1. Give thanks to the Lord... For He is good, for His loving kindness endures oh, it's everlasting. Man, there I go. <laughs> endures forever is the way I originally learned it, and I've been struggling with it all week. His loving kindness is everlasting. Let's pray.
Heavenly Father, Lord, we, we, we just don't trust in You and believe in You like we should. We don't place our hope in You and only You as we should. And yet You love us. You discipline us. You guide us. You're patient with us. And You walk with us. Lord, help us to, to proclaim as the psalmist did that You are for us. You are for us. Not in the sense that You want to give us whatever our hearts desire, but no. It is You are for us that we might become righteous. You are for us that we might be saved from the penalty of our sins. You are for us to the sense that You desire to save us, to send Your Son because You love us. We pray, Lord, that we would trust in You. That we would know as we go through our days, as things come up that are against our plans, as we struggle with things, that we would recognize that this isn't You being angry with us or mean to us, but that You are good. And You show Your loving kindness to us and Your loving kindness will last forever. Father, help us to trust in You. To hold on to You. To look at what we have, and maybe we have less than we wanted, but help us to look at what we have and to be thankful for it because it is from You. To not be so wrapped up in what we covet, but may we focus on what You have provided. May we thank You, Lord. May we honor You for all that You have done for all that You are doing, and for all that You will do. We pray that that would be our heart attitude, Lord, in Jesus' name. Amen.